You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. Open your Bibles with me and uh, turn to Joel and chapter 1. Joel and chapter 1. So with the season of fasting coming up, I, I really feel it's high time that we get very serious. If you're wondering why I'm dressed this way, by the way, and you're new to the church, I don't normally dress in a suit and all, but I need to rush off to do a wedding uh, straight after Tanya's cousin is getting married and we're just so pleased for them. They've been uh, living together for some time, but it's always just so great and uh, hopefully there'll be some chilling along the way. We're very excited. So, yeah, enjoy it. Lap it up. The suit doesn't get worn all the time. <laughs> While you're turning there to Joel chapter 1, I, I was just amazed at news. I, I turn on the news, I uh, have my app, and, and it reads out the news to me in the morning. And uh, I came across Christianity Today and an article on the 31st of January, so just a few days ago. And it was entitled, The Cancellation of Franklin Graham's Tour Event is a Seminal Moment for the U.K., and what he was saying is this, that there's always going to be the hecklers, there's always going to be the haters, that's normal. But the tide that is moving against the church and against our faith is rising stronger and stronger to the point that even churches are, are coming against other Christians in a strong way. Peter Wilcox, a bishop of Sheffield, said in November, Mr. Graham's rhetoric is repeatedly and unnecessarily inflammatory and in my opinion, represents a risk to the social cohesion of our city. Now imagine this, a pastor is saying that an evangelist bringing the word of God is causing inflammatory remarks and is a risk to people. A Christian saying that about another Christian. The Reverend Brian Kerr, a Church of Scotland minister in Lanark, said, Graham's views do not sit comfortably with many Christians in Scotland. Really? Comfortably. He goes on to say, these views and many more like them are not shared by all Christians as Mr. Graham would have people believe. Franklin Graham isn't the voice of Christianity. It is shocking me that Christians are saying this against other Christians. In fact, he went on to organize a petition to get Graham's crusade banned. In the same news, again, we're talking days ago, Margaret Court was uh, supposed to have this great honor at the Australian Open. And she was highly disrespected at the special event. Listen to this, celebrating the Grand Slam that she won 50 years ago, claiming all four majors in 1970, a feat unmatched by anyone, even by Serena Williams. In fact, I was reading an article where someone was encouraging, Serena, we hope you win so you can shut her up. Shut Margaret Court up. Guess what? Serena was defeated. <laughs> so you can't go against God. A.W. Tozer makes a statement, and it was relevant. He wrote it 65 years ago. I want you to listen in. They're big words. The church goes along with everything and stands against nothing. 
until she is convinced that it is the safe and popular thing to do. Then she passes her courageous resolutions and issues, her world-shaking manifestos, all in accord with what the world's newest venture is. I was sharing with my students. Uh, I'm teaching now a Cert three in ministry, raising up people who are interested in becoming leaders. These are students in the school that I'm also teaching in. And I was sharing this, the three scripture verses where it talks about, we're, we're teaching on sin and salvation, the consequences of sin. And one of the passages in Revelations, the Bible says this, no cowards will enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen to that one again. It really messes me up. No cowards will enter the kingdom of heaven. We are trying to live a comfortable Christian lifestyle, if that's possible. A comfortable Christian lifestyle and and denying the very roots of our Christian faith. See, originally we were called to be followers of Jesus, but instead we become attenders of a popular church. That's what we do. In fact, we become such consumers of church that if the music isn't good enough, if the preaching isn't good enough, if I don't like what they're wearing, I don't like what they're saying, the Instagram account doesn't get updated regularly, I'm going to leave the church and find one that's better. For some, they're really religious. Oh, pastor, I go where the presence of God is, and I'm just not feeling it in this church. Or you'll hear this one as well, those of you that have preached at all. You know, I really appreciated your word, but I'm really looking for bread. Now, I might have the opposite. People come to me. They go to this church. Pastor, I'm so glad I came to this church. I wasn't being fed in my other church, but now in this church, I'm getting bread. You know, I'm thinking to myself, bunk them. I know that with every message of God, the Bible says that the word of God will never return void. There's always a word, but we are not inclining our ears to hear. And a society around us is changing. It's changing itself. And the church is being affected by these changes. We're becoming more like the world than we ever have before. Listen to these words of Joel in chapter 1, and we're reading verses 10 to 14. He pens these words. It's a prophetic word. He says, the fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up. The oil fails. Despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the joy of mankind is withered away. We're seeing a time like no other where people are starved of the Word of God. And it is a challenge for pastors to read the Bible on a daily devotional. Can I just say this? I'm so sorry if pastors are listening to this podcast. Meanwhile, the church is saying, Amen. But the church as well is not reading the Word of God. We have biblically illiterate Christians, and then the Mormons come around knocking on your door. The Jehovah's Witnesses who aren't cowards are knocking on your door. They're sharing their faith, and they call you, open up your Christian Bible. And as you open it up, the dust is flying everywhere. <laughs> you know, The moths are going there. And then you begin to read the scripture they tell you to. Then they ask you questions, and you are undone because you don't even know what you're standing for. I'm declaring that the Lord is saying today is the day 
where the Christians, the followers of Jesus, the true followers, rise up and begin stepping into the realm that God has called you to be. You are not called to be bums on pews, if a, if a pastor can say that. You are called to be citizens of the kingdom. In fact, you're more than that. You are ambassadors in the area that God has planted you. Some of you are victims and you're being moved by the tides and swayed this way and that way. We are called to be people who are not cowards. We don't go quietly into that gentle night. We are the ones that awaken the dawn. We are the change agents for a world that is long lost and no longer hears the voice of the Father that is beckoning them saying, I love you, come back to me. I love you, come back to me. And all that they can hear is a judgment call from Christians. They just hear judgment. You're just here to judge. You're just here to judge. No, that's not the message. The message is a message of love. The message is a message of hope. Everything we do, and I'm saying this, we don't do enough as Christians for our community. Some of you are nodding your head. The others are like, I really don't want to do this right now, Pastor. I really don't want to do this with you. But my job is to provoke you towards love and good deeds. Your job is to provoke one another towards love and good deeds. I, I want a church. I want to be part of a church. It's not my church. It's his church. But I want to be part of a great church. I believe this is a great church. I'll tell you right now. But I'm saying change is in the wind. We are about to be one of the greatest forces in this area that is going to do such good for this area. The counselors who are about to apply for these positions want to know who we are. We're running carols with 3,500 people in attendance. One church. We're starting to partner now with other churches. Praise the Lord. I hope more get involved. We're about to put on, by the grace of God in June, a multicultural festival. Why? Because last year on these very grounds in Staines Memorial College, the Islander kids, boys, were, were fighting with the African boys. And and I've had two years ago the council calling me, hey, Pastor Paul, have you got a program that will bring the the cultures together? At that point, I said, I'm so sorry. We're planning on it. We're not ready. I'm, I'm declaring we're ready now. So we're looking for funding. We have to be the church that is changing the world around us. Listen to me really closely. You are not supposed to be just a people of faith and do nothing and be like the rest of the world. What I'm saying to you is you are catalysts. You are change agents. You are the ones that are stirring the pot. You are the ones making such amazing changes that the world will never be the same again. And in such a small church right now, I am amazed at what we are able to do. I'm looking at my brother and sister, uh, John and Yvette, doing an incredible, and Bruce, sorry, as well, doing an incredible job in the community. We're feeding the community. I've been, uh, as I'm trying to prepare the messages, ping, 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 these messages popping up. Community people, I need some help. I'm a young mother, and, you know, the rent is not enough for me to pay for the, for the, the rent. I mean, I just have enough money for the rent and not enough for the groceries. Can you help me out? We're finally being that church where if we were to close our doors, we're going to be missed. We need to be that kind of church. Is everyone okay so far? So Joel is prophesying that there's a, a time that he's in right now where there is such a, a famine in the land. There's just not enough. I mean, think about our farmers. We've been praying, contending for rain, but not seriously enough. We've been calling the entire church around this nation. And in fact, the world has been praying and the rain started to come. But they're not staying. We need to be 
the ones who are taking responsibility for our own nation. Not the rest of the world. Our nation. My nation. I'm an Australian. We should be the ones that are responsible for our city and not looking for another church or a government to look after them. Our job. And we can do it, and we can do it really well. Listen to what he says to change all these things. He says this is what needs to be done. It's a call to repentance. Verse 13 says, put on sackcloth, O priests. Who are the priests in the kingdom right now? Just tap the person next to you. Say, Pastor's talking to you. Raise your hand now. You're the priests. Remember what the word says? You're a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests. You hold a role like Jesus of Mel, uh, under the order of Melchizedek, kings and priests. You have to prosper. I was told when we were about to plant this church by a person who was a potential launch team member, you can't expect people to pay tithes. The people are poor in Red Bank plans. They can't afford that. And I'm saying to the guy, you don't understand the word. The word says you, they can't afford not to. If they want to break the cycle of poverty, they need to honor God with their finances and get heaven involved in their circumstances, and then heaven begins to change everything. You see, as long as you withhold your money and keep it in your pocket, it is not consecrated to God. And you will have to be like the rest of the world. You need a budget. You've got to add things up and see if you can cross the T's, dot the I's. At the end of the day, will everything add up? But I'm trying to tell you, that if you want miracles in your life to happen, then you have to step into the miraculous realm. You have to step out of a comfort zone and be the kinds of people who are actually living by faith. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's time to live by faith. We cannot afford any longer to live like the rest of the world does and live by what we see, taste, touch, smell, and hear. We have a supernatural realm. The Bible says that there is unseen, amazing amounts that God wants to give you in heaven. And all he's looking for are his servants to call it down, pull it down. But you can't pull it down without faith. If you can't even give in the smallest thing, give into the house of God, how can you possibly ask God for anything if you can't trust him with a little? <laughs> you look at me with death in your eyes, some of you. God bless you. God bless you. If you have any problems with this, just write to John Sinisa at LiveCityChurch.com. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The principal element of fasting is not getting what you want. You're actually fasting to get God what He wants. When you're praying, oh, Lord, I need a breakthrough in my marriage. That's what God wants. God wants your marriage to be healed and whole. When you're asking God, God, I, I'm just really struggling right now with our finances, you are not just praying for yourself. You're praying for what kingdom wants for you. Do you understand? It's a shifting of the thinking. You are not praying selfish prayers. You're praying prayers in line with what the Lord wants for you. Because when you're prospering, the world sits up and says, how come you're doing so well? And you say, I'm so glad you asked that. Because God. We are meant to be people who are changing the circumstances around us. The principal element of fasting is to humble yourself because your circumstances drive you to Him. You understand all of a sudden in your moment of need, this is the thing, the greatest curse that you can have over your life is to be blessed. The Bible says... Uh, 
that the goldsmith will test it over the fire. Right? He, he pulls out all the dross because of heat coming to the surface. But how God tests your heart is through the praises of men. Hardship isn't meant to be a, a, a thing to drive you away from God. It's actually quite the opposite. When you're finally on your face, you've lost everything. Isn't that the time usually, oh God, that you would come. But what if you said, oh God, when things are good? Some of you look at me like, what is this strange teaching you have, Pastor? It's what happened. It's the Word of God. He wants to bless you. Fasting is not a tool to manipulate God. Fasting is a tool to realign yourselves back to His priorities. Let me tell you this. Some of you are fat. I put on too much weight. I'm fat. I'm going to lose this weight while I'm there, okay? But what happens is I'm going to do at least a three-day water fast, what that does is it actually detoxes your system, cleanses all the toxins out until there's nothing. You're just constantly drinking water, flushing out your insides, flushing everything out until everything is clean again. You can start again. All those poisons out of your system. Isn't that a good thing? In the same way, when you're fasting spiritually, that's also happening. All that junk, all that gunk that's in your soul that's been lodged there for such a long time, all that errant thinking, all that arrogance that you think you've got this, even though, Lord, you can come and help me if you want, but I've got this, all that arrogance is smashed. As you're like, oh, God, let this fast end. Help me, <laughs> help me to just get to the next day, uh, day 22, so I can eat. It humbles you. It realigns you with His desires, with His purposes. Fasting unclogs our ears, and it focuses our hearing to hear His voice. Let me tell you this. When you are fasting for any length of time, I mean a real fast. I'm, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm fasting my favorite shows on TV. Okay, I won't belittle it. God bless you. At least it's something. But can I ask you as Live City Church to step up? Step up to the plate with me. Man up. Lady up. <laughs> For once in your life, man up. 21 days of corporate fasting will change your life. But I remember when, every time I go and fast for lengthy periods of time, what will usually happen is this. My, my ability to smell is so heightened that I can smell toast being cooked in my neighbor's house. My... <laughs> Praise the Lord for toast. Let me tell you when, you, when you are fasting, oh, praise the Lord. Just a, mm. And you can hear the sizzling of the bacon next door. Sausages from, I, and just, I can hear it. I'm smelling it. Dear God, deliver me from this prison that you've confined me to. You hear better. You smell better. You are experiencing things you haven't experienced in a long time. Your glands are salivating. You can't help yourself. <laughs> you know, you're not even going to be the one eating, but you are just saliva dripping through. I'm so sorry. Should I just touch it up a little bit? Because God is also unclogging your spiritual ears. He's focusing your hearing. They can hear His voice. He's opening your eyes for the first time. You are looking for it. Jesus said, the food that I have is to do the will of my Father in heaven. The Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds in the mouth of God. But some of you, this is why we fast. You're relying on food too much. 
It is a source of nourishment. It is a source of strength. But you rely on your food more than you rely on Him. And the Lord is saying, it's time to realign your needs and priorities, to begin calling out to Him first. In the hustle and the bustle of life, fasting brings us back to Him. Wow. Fasting is emptying your fist, whatever you're holding on to, and surrendering it to God. Fasting is surrendering your will, your rights, and giving it to God. You're saying, for this 21 days, I'm saying, God, whatever you want. I am not going to eat the foods that I want because I want what you want. So I'm going to drop it now for 21 days that you have the lordship. You tell me what to eat from the word of God, by the way. You tell me what I should be listening to. You tell me what I should watch. Handing over your temptations to God. Some of you are caught in this endless cycle of sin. You know what it is. It's the deeper ones that you'll never talk about with me. In fact, you probably won't even talk about with your wife or your partner or your friend. But it's a deep sin that God knows about. Go on the fast and surrender that temptation to God. Go on the fast and surrender your right to be the captain of your life. It will change you. It will change everything that you do and the way you see yourself. I want to give you, uh, let me see, five purposes of fasting. There's probably more, but I'm just going to give you five key ones, and I don't think we'll get past the first one, and that's okay. This is the one that will really hopefully excite you and encourage you. The first one is here, and we're going to take a few examples. Fasting averts disaster. If you're taking notes, fasting averts disaster. Let me give you some examples. The first one is King Ahab. It's just really hard to believe. Remember Ahab who married Jezebel, the witch, right? She kept enticing his heart. He was greedy. He wanted a a neighbor's field. And his wife said, and he he won't sell it to me, complaining to his wife. She said, just kill him. Okay, I'll kill him. He kills the guy to get his property. Just a wicked cruel king that brought the entire nation to serve foreign gods into idolatry. This guy's a wicked, wicked king. But the Bible says that when God began through the prophet telling him, this is what's going to happen to your life. This is what's going to happen to Jezebel's life. It's going to come to ruin. The nation will come to ruin because of you. And the Bible says this, he began to fast and pray in humility before God, a wicked king. And God says this, to the prophet, have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? <laughs> Who would ever thought a wicked man would humble himself before God? And God says this, because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day. I will bring it on his house and on the days of his sons. Such was the power of prayer and fasting. In Nineveh, Jonah the prophet, after reluctantly refusing to do it and having to be swallowed by a whale and get sped out on the land, now reeking and stinking of fish guts, goes around for 40 days. Probably his skin was discolored. His clothes are torn as he's preaching this doom and gloom for 40 days. By the way, I preached this message once, and the people of Nineveh worshipped a god who was of the sea. So when they saw this guy spat out by a whale, 
And they all were, you know, the, they didn't have the internet back then, but the, the, gossip, <laughs> the gossip internet was much faster than our internet. Everyone heard about this, the God that came out of the fish and began speaking to them, saying, in 40 days, this nation will be destroyed. It was so powerful, the Bible says in Jonah chapter 3, verse 5 to 7, that the Ninevites believed Yahweh. Not their God, this false one. They believed Yahweh. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. We're talking the king forced a 40-day fast to everything. I mean, animals, cows, uh, sheep, goats, chicken, none of them were allowed to eat. For 40 days, I don't know how many of them perished in the 40 days. But 40 days, not allowed to eat. And what happened was, God answered their prayer. And Nineveh was spared because a nation began to cry out for God. The exiles in Babylon, they were punished by God because of their constant disobedience and idolatry. They're now in captivity. But they began to pray because there was a a man, Haman, who was about to destroy the Jewish people. And Mordecai says to his cousin, Esther, go and speak to the king. She says, I can't. You have to be called and summoned by the king to have permission to speak to him because anyone who comes will be killed unless he raises his scepter. And he says, if you don't do it, God will raise up someone else in your place. Do not believe this, but that God raised you at such a time as this that you would intercede on behalf of your nation. And so this is what she said before. She didn't just go straight to the king. She said, go and call, gather together all the Jews. This is Esther 4, verse 16. Go and gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, the, the city, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish... I perish. We've got to have this same attitude as Esther. You know, we're called to such a time as this, that if we don't do it, God will raise somebody else up who is more noble than you, who is actually able to make a sacrifice and actually stand for good. God will raise someone else up if you don't do it. Don't think that you will survive this. Your faith won't survive this if you say no. God only gives you so many chances. But this is the time where God is rousing up the church saying, it's time to pray. And I don't care, but if I perish, I perish. If I die in 21 days of prayer and fasting, I I perish, I perish. You won't perish. You'll be okay. Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights for Israel. Listen to what the Word of God, God says, that Moses was, uh, was told by the Lord, I'm going to destroy the entire nation of Israel. In fact, I can't even travel with you. If I travel with you any longer, I'm going to kill you all. I'll kill all of you because of your grumbling and your complaining. So Moses, I'll kill them all or start fresh with you. I'll make a new nation out of you. The Bible says he went to 40 days and 40 nights of prayer. 
In fact, he goes on to describe it in Deuteronomy. He's flat on his face, interceding in the presence of the very living God. On their behalf, say, God, don't do this. The people around will make a mockery of your promises. You said you would rescue them. He's using the promises of God. As part of his intercession, that's what I'm saying. You're not praying just for yourself. You're praying on behalf of his will that it be done on earth as it is in heaven so that it comes into agreement. He's saying, your word, Father, you said this is what you do, but the reality is different. You want to change it. You can't change it. You have to be and you have to live and decree according to your word. The Bible tells us of Jehoshaphat. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1 to 3, King Jehoshaphat heard word that the Moabites and the Ammonites, two nations, had gathered together against one, and they're about to wipe them out. In 2 Chronicles 20, verses 1 to, thir- 1 to 3, it says this, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, with some of the Munites, or three of them actually, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you. Some of you are feeling that right now. A vast army is coming against you. Trouble has come against you, and it is vast and it is great. It might be poverty knocking on your door, demanding things. You're thinking, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills for tomorrow. For some of you, you don't even know if your marriage is going to last. For some of you, you're just looking for another job because this is, is just crushing your soul where you're at, and God is in there with you. And this is what he did. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said this, alarmed, verse 3, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Now, the Bible tells us how there was a miraculous deliverance that God did, that these men didn't even have to lift up their swords in battle. Before they even got there, God and his angels totally annihilated the enemy. What I want to tell you is that when you incline your heart to humble yourself, to fast and to pray, it is no longer your battle. The battle is the Lord's. And you don't want to fight against the living God. So I want to encourage you today. Yeah, give a hand to the Lord today. It's not your battle. It's not your battle. You've been battling this for yourself. It's been weighing you down. It's actually affecting your emotions. You're becoming discouraged. You're becoming despondent. Some of you even depressed and anxious. It's not your battle. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. When you humble yourself in fasting and prayer, you're actually handing that back to the Lord saying, I can't do this. I give up. And Lord, if you don't do this, it's over for me. If I perish, I perish. But God will not suffer you to, to, continue, to continue in that curse. God will begin to lift it and change it. Why don't we stand to our feet as we close this morning? Mighty God, we bless your name today. We thank you for the plans that you have for us, are to prosper us, to give us a hope and a future. Your plans are not to destroy us. Your plans are not to do evil against us. In fact, you will not allow evil against us in this time. But that, Lord God, you would lift up our heads and declare that you are the lifter up of our heads. You are shield. You are a mighty one. You are a sure hope in the time of storms. 
And so, Father, we ask, we ask, and we ask that during the season of prayer and fasting that there will be a turning of the tide, a changing of the guard. And, Father God, what was enough in the past will not be enough for the future because we're about to do a mighty impact personally and corporately as a church. And we ask, Lord God, that you would come and that you, Jesus, would intercede on our behalf to the Father for every need that will be presented in the throne room starting from this Saturday. Lord, that you would move powerfully in our midst and begin shifting and changing the goalposts. No longer will we be called the despised. No longer will we be called the rejected. No longer, oh God, will we be, will be the people who are tossed to the side. But we will be the prime choice, the first choice in the name of Jesus. Come on, make some noise and thank him today. Bless the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining Life City Church. And we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at livecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Live City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.